to Counsel the Word, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. I'm your host, Keith Palmer, and today we're going to be talking about Christians and the Enneagram. Well, I'm very thankful to have on the podcast today my friend, Dr. Ren Cherry. Ren serves as the Director of Finances and Donor Relations for the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, ACBC. And of course, many of our listeners uh, will know of Ren in his association with ACBC and, and all the things that he does there. Uh, one of the things that you may not know about Ren is he is a newly minted PhD uh, from uh, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary right here in the DFW area. And uh, we wanted to have a podcast discussion with him because he did his dissertation on the Enneagram itself. So, uh, Ren, thanks so much for being with us today on the podcast. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. Uh, I just want to say I'm thankful for your your tireless, tireless service to your church, your community, and to ACBC as a board member, uh, as a trainer for us, and as a counselor. So I, I thank you also for your interest in this topic of the Enneagram. Yeah, well, it's my pleasure, Ren. It's great to have this conversation today. And of course, uh, you did your doctoral dissertation on the Enneagram itself. So uh, I'm eager to um, just learn from you and to be able to share with our listeners uh, the background and, and some some helpful things that we're going to talk about today. So maybe we can start with just a, a, a simple, straightforward question. What exactly is the Enneagram? Sure. Well, a proper description of the Enneagram, you'd, you'd first have to make a dis- uh, you'd have to distinguish between the symbol and the personality typology. So the word itself, Enneagram, is formed from the Greek words ennea, which means nine, and gramma, which means something that's strong or written. And so there, there have been various nine-pointed symbols throughout history of mankind, but the symbol that most would currently identify as the Enneagram that was brought to the Western world by a man named G.I. Gurdjieff uh, in the early 1900s. So very few people would dispute that. So Gurdjieff, uh, he was a mystic who supposedly learned of the Enneagram while he was traveling in the Middle East. And uh, a, a mystic is just simply someone who claims to have a knowledge that transcends like ordinary human knowledge and and someone that claims to communicate directly with the divine. And so Gurdjieff, he didn't apply the Enneagram symbol to personality at all. He rather taught it in secret, and he he gave a lot of credence to that it in, it enabled man to understand all things. So so that's the symbol, uh, and most of the debate historically has been about the origin of the symbol and what it was used for. So the the origin of the personality typology can really be traced back to two men, uh, a Bolivian named Oscar Ichazo and a Chilean named Claudio Naranjo. And they worked together really in the 60s and 70s. Uh, Naranjo was a psychiatrist. Uh, it's, it's significant that he trained in the 60s under Fritz Perls. Some of the listeners will know of Fritz Perls. He was the, he's credited with being the originator and developer of Gestalt therapy. And that is significant because a, a basic assumption of Gestalt therapy is that people can eventually self-regulate themselves 
when they become self-aware and other aware. So in other words, this helps them understand what's happening in them and around them. So that theory goes. Now what Claudio Naranjo did was he assigned nine personality types that he developed in conjunction with Ichazo and they overlaid this onto the nine pointed symbol. And then they started teaching it to a lot of different people uh, in the 1970s in Berkeley, California. Now, among their students were Jesuit priests, um, and those Jesuit priests eventually began teaching what Naranjo had taught them. Uh, they began teaching it at Catholic spiritual retreats in the late 70s. And so you have Catholic priests who are being taught this personality typology, and a man named Father Richard Rohr, one of those Catholic priests, ended up writing a book uh, called Discovering the Enneagram, an Ancient Tool for a New Spiritual Journey. He wrote that book in 1989. And so you see this spiritualization of a secular personality type biology occur. And it's interesting that Rohr would go on to retitle that book uh, as The Enneagram, A Christian Perspective, 20 some years later. Okay, so here's why Richard Rohr is important in all of this He to evangelicals. Rohr personally taught and mentored Enneagram authors Ian Crone and Suzanne Stabile, who wrote together The Road Back to You. And Richard Rohr also mentored Christopher Hertz, who has written The Sacred Enneagram. Both of those books are dedicated to Rohr. Uh, Rohr is extensively quoted throughout those books. And these books have been wildly popular among evangelical Christians. So these books have even been labeled as Christian. And so the Enneagram, at least as evangelicals know it, is inextricably linked to the beliefs of the man Richard Rohr. That's very helpful, Ren, just to get some background, some of the history and understanding uh, of where all that comes from. So I, I guess that leads to the, the next logical question. Uh, how should Christians think about the Enneagram in, in light of some of the background and, and where it came from? Mm-hmm. Well, d- discerning Christians should think about the Enneagram just like they do about any type of theory or practice or system or teacher, for that matter that they encounter. So whether it's on a Sunday from the pulpit or a book they're reading or a podcast they're listening to, they they must uh, discern how these things stack up against the Bible. For instance, we must ask ourselves, like, what does this system say about God, about man, about sin, about salvation? In other words, what is the problem as defined by this theory? What is the solution according to this, quote, tool? How does the theology or the anthropology of any teaching or system compare to the truth of the Bible? And so I, w- I would, if there's only one thing that listeners take away from this podcast, I would say we must train ourselves to ask these types of questions of everything. And so if we're going to give fair analysis of this typology, we must examine the theology of Richard Rohr 
and other Enneagram authors that he's influenced. So I think that many Christians, uh, pastors in particular, have not been able to take the time to investigate the underlying theology and anthropology of the Enneagram. So they, they haven't done their due diligence on this kind of subculture that has now developed in many churches. And so you alluded to this. I was able to spend some time investigating the theology of Richard Rohr and these other Enneagram authors that he's influenced. And here are some points of concern that I came across. All right, so you ready, Keith? I'm ready. Fire away. <laughs> okay. So and, and these points are connected to each other, so I'll try to connect them for the listener. First of all, Richard Rohr is unashamedly uh, a panentheist. He holds to a panentheistic theology. He explicitly states this in what is his, one of his more recent books, a 2019 New York Times bestseller entitled The Universal Christ. He says statedly he is a panentheist. That is, he believes that God is in everything. So a pantheist would say God is everything. That's not what Rohr maintains. He says that God is in everything. God also exists outside of all things. But God is in the rocks. God is in the moon. He's in you. He's in me. He's in your pet and so on. So that means that everything is divine in nature. And But we see in the Bible something contrary to that, that says God is holy, God is distinctly set apart from his creation. And so we see Rohr's teaching is contradicted by Scripture. Okay, so you, you with me so far, Keith? I'm with you. Keep going. That's helpful. Okay. okay, all right. So second, Richard Rohr's theology teaches that the first of several incarnations occurred at creation. So Rohr would maintain that God entered into all of creation at the creation event. He calls that the first incarnation. So we see that this first incarnation provides the event that Rohr's panentheism requires. So in order for God to enter into all creation, there needs to be this first incarnation. Again, what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that the incarnation occurred only once and that the incarnation was exclusive to the God-man Jesus. Uh, a third point of contention with Rohr's theology would be that he consistently um, misapplies the biblical term in Christ to include all of creation. So he would hold to a universal salvation. Uh, Richard Rohr and the authors that he's influenced, the Enneagram authors, uh, they would maintain that all of creation, um, and I remember the first incarnation supports panentheism. So he would maintain that all of creation is already divine and already, quote, in Christ. And again, we must say, well, okay, what does the Bible say? The Bible says very clearly that the promise of becoming a new creation and being in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that biblical counselors are very uh, cognizant of, okay, that promise of becoming a new creation and being in Christ is reserved 
for those whose heart of stone has been re- replaced with a heart of flesh, Ezekiel 36:26, and those who respond rightly to the gospel through repentance and faith in the person and work of Jesus, the God-man. Okay, so these points now, you, you may hear them and say, okay, so what? What's the big deal? And, uh, well, according to Rohr and the Enneagram authors he's influenced, man's problem is now one of self-discovery. So man doesn't understand, according to Rohr, that he is already divine. He's already in Christ. So remember the first incarnation that supported his panentheism. Don't, don't overlook that point. You see, Rohr and the other Enneagram authors teach that man simply needs to discover what they would call one's true self. That is the divine self established at creation that is masked by the false self. Uh, That's Thomas Merton lingo from the 1960s. Uh, But what does the Bible say man's problem is and what is man's solution? The Bible is clear throughout. Man is a sinner who has rejected God, and the solution is external to man. So God himself, in the person of Christ, is the solution. Man is not his own solution. Um, so it, it, I think it's notable that Rohr also rejects the notion of original sin. Uh, we don't have time to really get into that, but he would he would claim that. Original sin is simply a burdensome, I think he calls it a mental construct fabricated by Augustine in the 5th century. Um, it's also notable that Rohr is a perennialist. We could have a separate podcast on that. He maintains that there are multiple paths to God. Uh, he specifically imbibed uh, Aldous Huxley's 1945 book, uh, The Perennial Philosophy. Uh, where where Huxley makes the case that uh, there are multiple paths to God held by all the major world religions. So I guess what are the, the some of the implications of this theology that's demonstrated by Richard Rohr and the Enneagram authors that he has so influenced? So again, going back to Suzanne Stabile, Ian Crone, who wrote the, the Road Back to You and Christopher Hertz, who wrote The Sacred Enneagram. So what are the implications of all this? Well, first, uh, I would ask listeners, if uh, Keith or I stood in the pulpit at your church on any given Sunday or in your institution and made a statement uh, to the effect that humanity has never been separate from God, or something like, the only thing that separates you from God is the thought that you are separate from God. Would you be alarmed? Uh, what if I made the claim that all of creation is divine or that there have been multiple incarnations? Let me ask you, would you trust anything else that came out of our mouths? And this is not a trick question, folks. I hope the answer, your, your answer is a resounding no. You would not confirm us. Uh, you would not believe anything else that we, we, we would say. So what are some of the dangers of embracing this heretically based quote system of the Enneagram? Well, at its most basic level, it magnifies self over God. 
it promotes a, really a dangerous shift in focus away from discovering the holiness of God and discovering the sinfulness of man. Um, secondly, it mischaracterizes man's problem to something other than rebellion against the holy God. And I think thirdly, uh, it promotes us a false gospel. It focuses on man's own ability to gain self-knowledge and discover his good, true self. And so any time you come across a solution to any man's problem, that's devoid of the Holy Spirit. So any solution that doesn't have a place or role for the Holy Spirit to point man to Jesus, that is a false gospel. There is no such thing as a good divine true self. There is the God-man Jesus of Nazareth, uh, who is the divine perfect uh, sacrifice, the only sacrifice acceptable to God himself. So in closing, I would say, you know, let me, let me say that my research showed that the Enneagram's theological differences with evangelicalism, they're more than just simple inconsistencies. They are, they're foundational theological contradictions. There's, there's a big difference. So the Enneagram is anti-biblical and therefore it's anti-Christian tool for understanding man properly. Uh, this, the way I've characterized it is this quote tool of the Enneagram. It's, it's a proverbial road to nowhere that provides its own peculiar language and sense of inclusion for its travelers to like amuse themselves along the way to the mythical destination of one's good divine true self. Wow, that, that's really helpful and also really scary at the same time. Ren, as you're talking, it, it reminds me again how important it is not just for Christians to be discerning, but for us to know the background, the history, the authors. I mean, we can think of so many quote-unquote Christian fads that have secular origins and, and have origins in other religious systems, uh, as you're helping us to see here. Um, and, and, and sadly, I think oftentimes Christians only look at the, a very surface level practicality. You know, does this help or is this, you know, uh, make a contribution in some way without really thinking with discernment? So I, I appreciate that overview. Very, very helpful. So, mm. so let me, let me ask the practical question. Uh, I'm sure like you, um, I, I've had, um, occasion to talk to several Christian couples that have, uh, gotten into the Enneagram and they'll say things like, well, this helped our marriage. Um, so ha- having done all this research and, and, and understood it from a, a more theological and, and discerning level, what would you say to that, to that well-meaning, well-intentioned Christian couple that says, this has helped me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say, uh, in love, I think you've already made part of your decision about what you're going to put your hope in. Uh, this, uh, uh, a man-made system that, uh, offers you something, at least in your own eyes, of outside of what the Bible and Christ, uh, offers you. So I, I would question what drives someone to need to look for an identity outside of Christ. So again, speaking to Christians that would claim to be born again, according to the Bible, 
and, and those Christians that have a new identity in Christ, what would drive us to feel the need to look for an identity outside of Christ? When I read the Bible, I see that, you know, I, what does the Bible say about self? It was Jesus specifically in Luke 9:23, and we know this verse. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, just a couple of verses, the, the couple of verses before that, Jesus is saying, I'm going to give of myself. I'm going to die. I'm going to sacrifice myself. And so he's telling his disciples, you must die to yourself. In fact, this denying of ourself, all right, what did Peter do on the very night of Jesus' crucifixion? He denied Christ. He said to a slave girl, I don't know him. There is no relationship there. He's denying it as if it even existed, right? So this the Bible speaks to putting oneself to death. If you read the Puritans, they would be mortified. They had a very negative connotation of self. But our culture is consumed with self, with understanding self. So I would simply say to Christians, uh, let us be quick to embrace the new identity that Christ, through his sacrifice, has made possible. Uh, the, the Bible is clear. There are two types of uh, men. There is a righteous man and there is an unrighteous man. And we can only be counted righteous in the person of Christ. So, um, yeah, I would just ask you to carefully uh, discern what is driving you to feel you need to have a sense of identity outside the person of Christ. So, so well said, Ren. This has been such a helpful conversation uh, to help all of us as believers to think more carefully, more biblically about uh, the, the background and some of the dangers of, of this popular uh, Enneagram uh, fad that's going on right now. So thank you so much for being with us, for your time, and for your expertise. Really appreciate that. You're most welcome, brother. Thank you. For more information about uh, Dr. Ren Cherry's work on the Enneagram, especially for you biblical counselors out there that are listening, uh, I would direct you to the latest edition of the Journal of Biblical Soul Care, published by the Masters University. Uh, the fall 2020 edition features an article by Dr. Ren Cherry called The Dangerous Theology of the Enneagram. And that would be great additional reading uh, if this podcast has sparked your interest. So for more information, uh, about the Center for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship and our podcasts and our resources, you can visit us at our website at thecbcd.org.